they're standing and they're applauding that dramatic performance by James Orville and Christopher Dean. Alex Philodeau. It takes a lot to make him happy and he is clearly pleased. She's up, she's moving nicely. She's got it. Yes! Sally Stegel, 132.67 has won at least the medal. She's 0.24 of beauty. On the ice with the Gimlet. The Gimlet scoping. Sidney Crosby, the golden goal. These golden games have their crowning moments. Welcome back to Off the Podium for another exciting interview as we're gearing up for the Beijing Olympics. We're getting cold, we're getting chilled, we're getting icy and ready for ice skating and talking ice skaters. Because it's exciting to do that in the lead up to Beijing. And what's really exciting here is uh, we're not only talking to somebody who has a great history, sometimes we bring you an interview with somebody who has this incredible Olympic history, multiple medals like our guest today. Uh, and sometimes we bring you an interview with somebody who's getting ready to uh, do something new and, and compete in the Olympics. And this time we've got both. Uh, we're talking to Eric Radford, who is a Paris figure skater who has a complete set of medals, gold, silver, and bronze uh, with his former partner, Megan Duhamel. And uh, he's also getting ready for his next Olympics uh, in Beijing, which uh, is going to be with a, a brand new partner, Vanessa James. We get to talk to him about a lot of that stuff. And uh, this was a really fun chat. Don't you think Ben is here as well? And he can kind of chime in and give me his opinion. But this is a really fun chat. Eric, Eric's a fun guy. I just was sitting back and not having to talk in an introduction for once. I've been doing a lot of these lately, so I'm like, sweet, I can I can take some moments off. Yeah, it's a great chat. And, you know, from the Australian perspective, it's sort of a sport that obviously is not very well uh, covered here. We see it at the Olympics every four years. That's about it. So it's always fascinating for me to be able to be on one of these interviews, learn a, a lot about the sport, learn a lot about the journey and getting there. Obviously, we've learned a lot of that in the past with the couple of Australians and the Canadians we've had on the show. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely a fascinating chat to learn. And also his skills outside of skating. I mean, this guy oh, yeah. has got about 50 different <laughs> careers that uh, can do there. So for Eric, I mean, he's, he's set for life with everything that he's talented at. So, yeah, I, I, it's a great chat to learn all of these many, many talents that he does have from skating through to all the artistic ones he has as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so stay tuned for the entire interview all the way through our final questions. We'll get to a question about all of his skills outside of figure skating, and they are many. Uh, so uh, everybody can just sit back, uh, relax, enjoy this uh, fantastic chat with three-time Olympic medalist, two-time Olympian, Eric Radford. We are thrilled here to return to the great sport of figure skating for the first time, I think, in over a year since uh, we had Jamie Soleil on here. Uh, And we get to talk to a person who has, I guess, a full set of medals across several Olympics here. We are talking to Olympic gold medalists in the team event, Olympic silver medalists in the team event, Olympic bronze medalists in the pairs, the one and only Eric Radford, uh, Canadian triple medalist. Eric, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. You know, we always start off these interviews uh, just by finding out how somebody got into the sport that they, they're in and they compete in. Uh, and I'm going to assume, like most Canadians, you know, skating is just something that comes naturally. It's most Canadians but me, uh, sadly. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, how did you, I guess, stumble into figure skating specifically? 
Uh, I saw it on TV during the 92 Olympics. And when I was a kid, I was obsessed with planes and flying. And then it was like one of the sports that came as close to that as, you know, could be. Um, and I just, after watching it on TV, I, I used to try to emulate it and in my in my uh, living room. And I was just, I would just jump and try and turn as many times as I could. Uh, and that's how it really all started. And looking back though, I, I think I realized that I was even more enamored with it because it was, it's one of the only sports done to music. And I didn't know it at that time yet, but music was going to be a big part of my life. Which I, I love hearing those sort of uh, inspirations when you watch the Olympics and particularly when you're saying you wanted to do it as much as you could. I mean, I think we've all got stories of watching sports and trying your best, but figure skating is one of those ones where it's like, yeah, like that's, that's the one you want to try doing, doing all the kind of the spins and the jumps and everything and going that way. Uh, did you know how to skate at that point? Was it an easy case of then transitioning that from your living room and, hey, I can skate, I can do this? Or was it, <laughs> mom, dad, take me to the local rink. I need to learn to skate to make this even better. I, I actually had an outdoor rink across the street from my house wow. growing up. So I, I used to, in my living room, I would do the jumps and then I would put my skates on. And I, I wasn't that strong of a skater, but, you know, I, I had taken uh, learn to skate lessons and some uh, hockey skate lessons when I was really, really young. And uh, then I would go and I would try and do it on the ice and <laughs> jump and turn and, you know, kill myself and fall and uh, <laughs> try and balance on one foot and do all the things that I saw on TV. So were you kind of like self-taught in the beginning or did you get into classes? Like at what point did, uh, did you start to get professionally trained? I, I you know, I, I, I kind of, I told my parents, I was like, oh, I want to, I want to be able to do what they do. And then my mom put me in what are called uh, can skate lessons. And that's sort of like the, the learn to skate program through Skate Canada, which at the time was actually called the Canadian Figure Skating Association. Um, so I was in those sort of group learn to skate lessons. And then the coach uh, at the time kind of saw that I was learning very, very quickly. And then she was the one that suggested I go into private lessons or into the competitive stream. So, and that all happened very quickly from what I can remember. And then that's when it really started. That's when I was really learning to figure skate rather than just learn to skate. And in terms of getting inspired by watching the 92 Olympics, not only getting inspired to pick up the sport, but does that ultimately then go, okay, not only do I love this sport, I want to try it, but I want to go to the Olympics one day. This is now my goal. I'm going to become an Olympian one day. That's exactly it. Um, and you know what? Even before uh, that moment, on my old uh, on my parents' old Commodore 64, I think, <laughs> on one of the floppy disks we had, there's a really old Summer Olympics and Winter Olympics video game. And they had all the different sports, gymnastics, figure skating. And of course, figure skating with like the music was one that I loved so much. Nice. And all you could do, you, you could only do like a spin and you could <laughs> jump and that was it. Um, <laughs> but I just remember and like the, the, the music and the, they had the opening ceremonies and I there was something about it the Olympics from, you know, when I was like four or five years old. And when you started getting into it competitively, I mean, did you start as an individual, like a solo skate? Cause then you'd eventually transition into pairs. And uh, I think it was Jamie Salet. She was talking about how they, uh, they paired her up very early. Like it was a young age when it was sort of, okay, you're going to be dancing or you're going to be skating with somebody. At what point did uh, you got, I guess, become a pair with anybody? So yeah, I mean, in general, in, in skating, you, you tend to start as a single skater. 
And then, you know, if, if single skater, if single skating isn't what you like, then you usually move either into pairs or dance or synchro or, you know, there's lots of other sort of facets there. But um, I was approached to do pair skating when I was like 15, 16. And I had this amazing coach uh, at the time, Dennis Silverthorne, and he gave me one of the best pieces of advice. And he said, learn to skate, then learn to skate with somebody else. And that was like, you know, of course, looking back at my career, that was a big key to my success because it was, you know, Megan and I's ability as a strong single skaters that really propelled us through the ranks more quickly. And uh, so it wasn't until I was 18 that I got, I had, uh, I started skating with my first partner. When it comes to that advice of learning to skate with someone else, what's the biggest thing you need to take skating with someone else versus skating solo besides the obvious of you've got someone there. I mean, in terms of the, the strategy, the routines and everything along those lines, I mean, what's the biggest thing I guess to overcome from going solo to then skating with someone else? Um, you know, it's, it's funny that you, you, you put it like that because when I started skating with somebody else, it actually became a little easier because when you go out, say for a competition, you're there sharing the experience. You're not by yourself on the ice. Um, and, I feel like in pair skating, there's so many different uh, types of technical elements. So, you know, in single skating, it's jumping, spinning, and then footwork and choreography. And in pair skating, you have death spirals, lifts, throws, jumps. Um, there's just so many pair spins, side-by-side -side spins. There's just more to do. There's just more variation. And um, I actually found it more exciting and fun, but, <laughs> I think that in terms of things that you need to overcome as a pair team, as you start to compete and as you start to train every day, it's like any relationship, like any time that you spend a lot of time with somebody else, you're going to start getting on each other's nerves. And then it all breaks down to the same things as any other relationship, communication, communication, communication. <laughs> I also wonder with, uh, with, pairs, figure skating, ice dancing, whatever it is, you know, if you're a figure skater, I mean, it's, it's very grueling on your body. Uh, you know, you're taking a lot of risks, but then when you add a second person to the mix, the first time that you're paired up with somebody, do you have any of that nervousness? Like, Oh, I'm doing a lift for the first time. Like what happens if my hand slip, you know, what's it like going into that when you first start out knowing now I'm only, I'm putting my body in line, but I'm actually got another person to worry about too. Definitely the first time you do some pair elements, it's it's nerve wracking, which is why you usually start by doing them off ice. So you usually learn your basic lifting technique off the ice before you do it on the ice. But I would say, I mean, you know, in the skating world, it's said that, you know, pair girls are the, the craziest athletes of them all because they're the ones that are flying way up in the air. They put all, they put not all, but a lot of their trust in their partner. And we have, you know, as the pair boy, a lot of responsibility to make sure that they stay safe. Um, and one of the first rules that we kind of learn as a pair boy is, you know, it's save the girl. So if, you know, if she's above my head and I start falling or something, it's making sure she's okay. And then I can deal with myself afterwards. But uh, the amount of trust between the partners in both pair skating and in ice dance, it's, it's immense, you know, because you both have to be doing your job and when it comes to some of the elements, it's split second timing that needs to be perfectly synchronized. You know, that's, it's a lot of, it's, just, it's a lot of trust and a lot of uh, perfect timing between two people. 
It kind of reminds me of the whole heroes in the 2006 Save the Cheerleader, Save the World. It's sort of like Save the Girl. I, I kind of like that, that sort of. That yeah. came to mind. That came to mind, yeah. <laughs> when, when I'm it, also, when... Matt, I just want to say, I'm also imagining as you're saying you practice off ice, like, <coughs> dirty dancing. You know? <laughs> you're, you're on the log yeah. above the water and stuff. <laughs> wow. So many connections to that. When it came to that that period, obviously, going in into pairs, that, if my maths are correct with your age, that would have been just after the Golden Salt Lake from from Jamie and David as well. So I can imagine then as well, Canada's a bit boosted by the fact that they've gotten that breakthrough gold in, in pair skating again. So does that something then too, when, once you've seen that, you get into pairs, it kind of boosts your confidence a little bit and go, wow, okay, this is great now. This is going to do great wonders for Canadian skating. Well, I remember watching David and Jamie. I remember I was in the living room. at uh, I was living and billeting with uh, another uh, skater and their family. And I remember, you know, being so excited and jumping up and down and seeing that moment and thinking one day, maybe like, I'm going to be able to do that. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it, it inspired, uh, you know, anytime like a Canadian athlete wins an Olympic medal, it inspires generations of other younger athletes that have an interest in that sport and beyond that sport as well. And, you know, definitely, you know, that had a huge impact on me. How does the process work about um, uh, the pairs coming together? Uh, we talked about uh, during Tokyo, completely different sport, but uh, beach volleyball and sort of wondering why, you know, okay, these two people were paired up last time, not had different pairs. And I don't know whether this is something where, you know, the skaters, they have the complete say. If you just simply say, hey, I want a new partner, who's out there? Are there coaches involved? Is there an Olympic body that's involved that kind of uh, puts people together or tries them out? So it's the coaches most of the time because they'll have like a bird's eye view and go to different competitions and see, oh, there's a, you know, a girl in novice that could fit really well with one of the boys that trains at the club. Um, and that was kind of the case with Megan and I. It was our coach who suggested that we skate together. Uh, Megan and I would have never considered skating together one another, with one another because of our, you know, our difference in height, our difference in style. Um, but our coach had that vision and put us together and you know the rest you know played out so well but without their without that vision without them being able to see it from the outside I don't know if it would have ever happened in terms of when you are then partnered up I'm sure you're familiar with each other having you know seen each other skating in, in other competitions and everything along those lines but when you when you go okay this is going to be a thing before you get out on the ice together is there kind of just like a let's go out for drinks let's you know sit down and watch heroes or something like that just kind of bond a little bit more if that's something that you maybe didn't already have a friendship with megan before you then start competing i think sometimes that can happen and sometimes it's more uh, like technical like megan and i skated in the same rink but we were with different partners and then when her partner retired and i didn't make the 2010 olympics we were both at a crossroads figuring out what we wanted to do so it was kind of this natural timing of putting us together I think in other cases, um, usually what is like usually what happens is a, a tryout is set up. So, and sometimes it's done through the skaters or through the coaches. So the, the the guy may contact the girl, and then they'll be like, "Oh, let's do a tryout," and then you'll go and you'll skate for a day or two, and you see how it looks, how it feels, a little bit about how you know you connect with that person, and then you'll decide from there whether it's something you want to pursue or not. Um, which is 
what's happened with all of my partners. They all started with a tryout and then we decided together, oh, okay, this is what we want to do. We make a good match and then we, and then we move forward from there. Uh, you had mentioned uh, just a little bit earlier about the, the height difference, and that's always been the thing that stood out for, for you and Megan to me. I can remember watching Sochi and even heading into Pyeongchang being like, oh, yeah, that's the, the tall guy and the small girl, you know, and uh, <laughs> even before this interview. I mean, how do, you, how do you describe who's Eric Radford? Oh, Eric Radford was the really tall guy with the really short partner. <laughs> but you really don't see that often in, uh, in, in figure skating. I mean, I don't know whether that is it. You kind of alluded towards the fact that, you know, there's a bit of a challenge with that. Uh, but uh, it, it's not just the fact that you are, I guess, maybe a little bit tall for a male figure skater, but I mean, she is probably five feet, maybe a little bit less than that. What are the challenges that go along with the height difference? Well, Megan's 4'11 and I'm 6'2. And I mean, wow. there's always a height difference in, in pair skating. It would be kind of impossible <laughs> without it. But we had quite a big height difference. Um, and you, you know, on some elements, you would think, oh, like it must be so easy because she's so small and you can just like throw her around. But it's actually a little bit deceiving because some of them, like I need to get underneath in order to be able to lift up, right? Like she she can't mm. jump up on top of my head. So um, that means that I would have to get a lot lower, which, and if you've ever tried to do say like a squat jump, there's a point where if you squat past, you kind of lose all of your explosive power. So you know, that was something that we had to work on. And that was something that was, I think, surprisingly challenging because, you know, from the outside and even when we started, it's like, oh, this is going to be so easy. Um, but at the same time, I think that, uh, you know, the height different worked in different ways. You know, it made our, our lifts really spectacular. Um, Megan was so consistent on the throw, uh, landing of the throws. And I think you know, I think her her strength and her size was a part of her ability to be able to do that so well and cons so consistently. Um, and then the other challenge would be choreographically. You know, we always had to be very careful not to just have me sort of standing and towering over her <laughs> and making us look like just too too different and too far apart. Um, but you know, our choreographer was the one that really took care of that, and you know. I think that we always did a pretty good job of blending and uh, hiding that uh, that extreme difference. You mentioned just before about not making the 2010 Olympic team. Uh, I mean, how close were you, I guess, to to making it? And how was that to sort of overcome not making the team, particularly because it was also a home games as well, would have made it a little bit uh, extra special to make your Olympic debut in front of a home crowd? Um, well, I mean, for me, I was in the Olympic team is decided at the national champions before the Olympics. And I was in eighth place at that national championship. So I was kind of far from making the team, but Megan, there was two spots and Megan came third. So she missed it by one spot, which was pretty devastating. And, you know, after, you know, at that point I had been with partners that would struggle with the sort of individual elements they weren't the strongest jumpers and they had trouble with the throws and i always felt that i had to be a, the ability to try to to push for the top but i just never found the right partner yet um and that's another challenge in pairs that you don't have to worry about in singles is that you begin to rely on this other person for your success and um at that point when we didn't when i didn't make it to the 2010 olympics i started looking into different universities um how i was going to move forward on with my life from figure skating uh 
<laughs> and that at the same point, like a week after that was when I had my first tryout with Megan. Wow. Wow. And then eventually you're going to get to Sochi. I mean, did you have a moment along the way between Vancouver and Sochi where you realize this is a possibility now, you know, because if you're adding up the math here, you're, you're actually one of the few people who has, has said, I wanted to be an Olympian and not just, oh, I was in a sport and they said I was good at it. So now you're at like 20 something years. When did it become real? Okay, I have a chance I can make the Olympics here. What was so interesting about those first four years with Megan is the, like how, how our success really like we had a lot of success pretty fast. You know, we, we, our first year at Worlds, we were seventh, then we were fifth, then we were, uh, and then we were third. Like we really stepped up every single season. And, um, you know, we started off being like, we, our goal was to make it to the 2014 Olympics. And then the year going into the Olympics, we were world bronze medalists. So all of a sudden it shifted from, oh, it's from making it to the Olympics to trying to medal at the Olympics. And that all happened in such a short time. And, you know, it was, it was so exciting because it was everything that Megan and I had dreamed of and it all was like happening. And you almost like, you know, after watching, you know, like uh, Scott and Tessa or Jamie and David, like you always just assume it was meant to happen for somebody else. Like it was just part of their destiny. Like, mm-hmm. and we, it, when you're living it, you realize that you've had to make it happen. You've had to fight every step of the way and nothing was handed to me and Megan. It was hard work and performing under the highest pressure and have, uh, you know, hitting our programs at the right moment. And, you know, we did it. And it was really, really exciting to kind of go from this fresh new team to uh, Olympic medal contenders in those first four years. What is that moment like when you 100% know you're Olympians, when you have qualified, you're there, you're off the ice? I mean, do you just you take a moment with Megan and just pinch us, like, this is real, this is happening. <laughs> with everything, As you said, all that effort you've done to work towards that moment, it's officially happening. The, the moment that comes to mind is uh, it was our first, we arrived in Sochi at, like, midnight, so it was, like, our first day. And we, we took the bikes and we were kind of just biking around the grounds and we went to the cafeteria. And then as we were biking back, we were both just biking next to one another and we were looking around and then we looked at each other and we were like, I can't believe we're here right now. And I just remember like electricity going like <laughs> down my back and, and Megan was like, oh, it's so amazing. I already want to do another one. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Eventually you would, right? <laughs> and eventually we would. We didn't know it at that time, but yeah. For the experience at Sochi, I mean, you competed in, uh, if you want to call it individual, but pairs individual, and then as well the team event, you go on to, uh, I think the silver, and it was uh, Sochi and the team, right? Yes. What was the, for you, what was it like to actually be able to get that medal, to have it hung around your neck and you're like, okay, I'm here, you know, I didn't medal in one event, but I've got this other one. And now you go home and you've got a medal, like you've got a silver medal. Was it, you know what, I want to do better. I want to come back and win the gold next time. What was, what was really interesting and a little bit funny about that Olympics is uh, we, the team event was right at the very beginning. So we had all this excitement and we won the silver medal and I was holding like this Olympic medal in my hands, which was like a big dream come true. And then we had to kind of reset for the individual event, which we didn't perform our best. And so we were disappointed. And when I left Sochi, I remember feeling like 
the high of winning the medal and the low and the disappointment kind of met in the middle. And I left feeling a little bit numb. Like I was really, I was happy, but I was disappointed. It was a strange feeling. Um, but what was interesting is when I got back to Canada and you have an Olympic silver medal, it, nobody cares. Like all they care is like, wow, you won a silver medal and everybody thinks it's cool. I had so many, uh, I was in Vancouver after tour and I brought my medal with me and I was with one of my best friends and he wore it and we went out to all these different bars and we got to go like right into the front of the line. We didn't pay for any drinks. Like it was like this like magical power, you know? And um, it kind of put things into perspective after that, you know, that, uh, that, even I don't not to let yourself be too disappointed at any time because there's always like those good moments that are going to carry you. I'll say you just made Ben very happy because uh, yeah. he's been waiting for a long time. One of our questions we have at the end is, but uh, oh, did you ever use the metal? What do you do with the metal? Have you ever used the metal? And we, he's been waiting so long for somebody to say, you know what? I got something free with my metal. I love hearing it. It's, like, it's powerful. I, I just, I, I want to think you can use it for so many free things, but like, I mean, clearly you can, you just got to wear it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Not have it in the sock drawer, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which on that, just while we're on the topic, we may as well ask a question now. Uh, I mean, where do you have your medals? Is it, do you have them on display? Are they in the sock drawer? Kind of like what, what do you do with them? That's so funny in the sock drawer. <laughs> it's, some of them are actually in like a big fluffy sock so that it doesn't get stretched. <laughs> um, I have, I do keep them on hand though, because if I ever need to come and do an event or, uh, you know, I can bring them with me quite easily. Um, but I think eventually I will, I don't know, maybe get a little safe or something and put them in a safer spot. <laughs> Which I always like because the sock drawer is funny because so many of our guests say like, yeah, they're just in a drawer on that. But I think it's almost inspiring if you when you go to get a pair of socks. You're like, okay, starting my day. All right, let's get dressed. All right, socks. Oh, Olympic gold medal. Cool. Oh. I feel pretty positive today. On go the socks. And you're like, it's, it's a booster. It's a confidence booster. <laughs> Uh, now, for the transition between Sochi and Pyeongchang, uh, now I, I you know don't necessarily follow everything, but you know I knew that you guys were coming back, you were going to be competing. You know there were hopes for you to medal, uh, but what do you think changed? Like, uh, was was it really that nothing changed and that Sochi it just it wasn't, wasn't the same your best best night, or did that four years have any changes between you guys the pair where you pushed harder or you had a different strategy going in and uh, you know maybe just the success coming into it gave you a bit of a boost? Anything? It was the the, the four years to Sochi and then the four years from Sochi to Pyeongchang were completely different story arc. You know, after after the season after Sochi, we had an undefeated season. We won every short program, every long program. We have like a perfect set of gold medals from that season. And it was when I think Megan and I let go of all of the expectation that was on us. And we really started skating for ourselves. And that was when we won our first world title in Shanghai in 2015. And then the following season, we won our second world title. And then the following season, I was injured and we dropped to seventh, which was like, it was a, it was a huge, um, it really shook our confidence. And I mean, I learned so much about myself. I remember going into that final world championship and, you know, I was, I had, we were the reigning world champions for two years. And I was like, if we don't win this third one, 
then what like what am I if I if I don't get to be a world champion anymore and so much of my like identity got tied into it and looking back I, I just feel like it's so ridiculous because like I know that it's not that way in my mind but like the way you feel you can't control it and um you know when we ended up in seventh um it felt like the whole world was ending and like you know the thought of trying to get a, a medal at the next olympics just seems impossibly far away um and then we found our groove you know that season heading into pyeongchang and we found and um you know megan and i really connected through that season and uh, you know uh, our career ended better than i think we could have imagined with that gold and with that bronze and um you know, when I look back at the entire season in those four years, it just, again, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but it has just taught me so much about um, learning from the difficult times and then just enjoying the good times and how much more you learn from the difficult times than the good times. Because when we came off the skates where everything was perfect, then you have to repeat it and you don't even really know how. But then when you make mistakes, you're able to like create a clearer target for yourself and then climb towards it. With all that success in the lead up to the Olympics and, and everything you were talking about, though, d- does does pressure spur you guys on more like going into it? Like with all these medals, all these world championship success, obviously there's a lot more attention on you than was in Sochi. But some athletes no doubt thrive on that. Are, are you Were you both the type of athletes who are like, OK, we're thriving on this pressure. People are expecting something from us now. So we're going to use that to our advantage and go out there, kick ass, take some names and get a medal. <laughs> well. Megan and I always performed our best when the pressure was at its highest. Um, like when all the best teams were there um, and usually at the world championships and, you know, at the Olympics or into the 2018 Olympics, looking, looking back, what I think was, what was perfect is that, you know, we were two-time world champions and then we were seventh. So it's like, we kind of fell off the radar. So it's, we, we, we were metal contenders but kind of from the outside so i think that there wasn't as much pressure on us as if we had won that third world title and we were going into the olympics as three-time world champions you know that expectation would be so high so it kind of it worked out really well because we went into the olympics and we were really able to um just not have any expectations because we were like whatever happens here it's good Whereas if you're a world champion going in and you're like, well, if I don't win, which I know I can, then I'm going to be disappointed. So I think it worked out in the best way possible. And ultimately, uh, you and Megan would uh, retire. Well, I guess briefly, we'll we'll touch on that a little bit later, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) some exciting stuff going on. But uh, I think we were talking to Tessa Virtue. She was saying when they went into Pyeongchang, they knew that was our last game. They're like, this is our last games and we have no choice. We have to meddle in this one. Uh, did you have, even if it was just sort of something in the back of your mind, did you have kind of an exit strategy uh, or was it really just, you know, once you you know, win the medal and once you come in with a double medal, you complete your set in Pyeongchang, then you decide, you know what, this is as good as it's going to get. We're going to move on from here. Uh, Megan and I were the same as Tessa and Scott in that regard. We, we knew that Pyeongchang would be our last competition that we wouldn't even do the world championships afterwards. Um, but that didn't like prevent us from 
you know, giving it our all. But I do remember a moment of being backstage. We had just gotten off our warm up for the long program. So for our final skate and I was looking around and I was like, am I gonna miss this? And at that moment, you're feeling like you're about to die. Like you're so nervous. <laughs> you know, the biggest moment of your life is about to happen. And I remember telling myself, nope, I'm not gonna miss this at all. I was 100% ready <laughs> to be done in that moment. And um, and then we went out and we had a great skate. Which I rewatched it last night and the song, Hometown Glory, Adele, just such a beautiful song, gives me chills even watching it. But I remember when we had Jamie Soleil on and we, I talked to this about it, the moments I always love watching figure skating at the Olympics is, is the moment when it's over. You realise you've you've nailed it. You, you've done everything you can. And just the emotions on both you, yours and Megan's faces there and just the, the crowd is going up. Remember crowds, people, they were fantastic, weren't they? Just, <laughs> just, just everything through that. I mean, is that one of those moments that will just live with you forever eric just kind of that 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 you've nailed it you've done everything you can you're in the olympic games this was your dream as a kid and and here you are right now and you've done everything you possibly can at that moment those are some of the best moments of my entire life and the, the feeling you know like they're the best part of it is just the satisfaction in knowing that you did your best in the most difficult moment and I remember uh, hitting the ending position with Megan and I feel like I'm always a little bit more internalized than Megan. Megan like shows her expression right away <laughs> and it always takes a little while for me to realize, oh wow, we just had a great skate. Um, because I knew that the triple Lutz wasn't perfect, but then you know we hit a great throw quad. Then we did the side-by-side out and the rest of the program was really strong. And so when I got to the end, I was like, oh wow, like that was a really good skate. And then it slowly started to hit me and I was like, wow, like <laughs> we, had a, we just had a great skate, you know, at the Olympics. And um, of course, then we got to the score and it was, you know, confirmed. But, um, and then combined with like the satisfaction of have, doing your best, the relief that it's over. And like, and then also that when you have a great skate, like that's, that's stuck in time forever. It's not like we need to go and do it again or repeat or, you know, we have to do two Olympic vaults where, you know, you, there's the first one that you did great. And then, oh, now I have to go and do it again. Um, yeah, the, the, the satisfaction in the reef is indescribable. Which on that, how many times have you rewatched it since 2018? Is it something that if you're just having a crap day, you're like, oh, bugger, I'm going to watch my my performance from, from Pyeongchang because that's always going to spur me on today. <laughs> it really, it, I've watched a lot. And what I, what I love is knowing the outcome. And I know that, you know, aside from like the little stumble on, on the Lutz, like I go back and I watch that throw quad and, you know, that's like a little piece of history that Megan and I made there by being the first and only team that's done it. And, um, and I, sometimes I'm just like, wow, I, I can't believe that's, that's me. It almost feels like it happened to somebody else. Um, yeah, it definitely, it's always <laughs> something that's going to like pick up the mood if you're not feeling great. And on that too, quickly, you were the first Canadian pair to medal in pairs since Jamie and David. So, I mean, did that add a little bit of extra, you know, going back to when you were watching that in your living room and cheering to all of a sudden realising that you were now the first Canadians to kind of do that since they did that? I mean, did that add a little bit of extra sort of uh, weight to that medal win? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like I know that, uh, you know, they inspired me and then being able to you know be the one that can inspire the next generation it's something that always gave me a lot of pride gave Megan and I a lot of pride 
just going a little bit back before you get to that moment where you realize, okay, these are our scores. It's never occurred to me that we've never asked anybody this question. That very long drawn out process of you're waiting for the scores to come in and the camera is right there front and center. The kiss and cry. Yeah, it's I, I, yeah. I can't imagine how brutal it, and I honestly have a theory that they drag it out for dramatic pause for dramatic effect. You know, <laughs> um, they have to. I mean, it's great. Makes great television. But like, do you have to train yourself to, OK, you got to smile. And then when those scores come in, when it's when it's a day where it's not it's not Pyeongchang, you know, it's a seventh place finish. Do you have to practice and rehearse? Oh, you got to Got to smile. Got to Got to look pleasant. Um, I, I think, well, Megan, for sure, never had any problem showing how she was feeling. Um, <laughs> and I, I think that, um, like I said, it always took me a little bit longer. But I think in the moment we were, we were, Megan and I, we, we were already kind of analyzing the skate and going over things and just kind of debriefing after everything that just happened. Um, and there were there were a couple moments when we the scores came up and it was like, it feels like somebody stabs you in the chest, you know, you feel like you can't breathe and it's like, okay, stay calm, you know, and then you know that the next, as soon as they announce the next skaters, the camera is off of you. So there was a couple of moments where I think that we needed to kind of control ourselves. But for the most part, I think that we were, you know, we always had pretty good results and we were usually happy and ready to show it. Which in terms of just Pyeongchang in general for Canada, I mean, such a successful games in the, the whole Olympics, but of course in, in skating as well. I mean, you were obviously part of the gold medal winning team that did the team event. Tessa and Scott got the gold in the ice dance and Caitlin, of course, got the bronze in, in the singles as well. I mean, as what's the, the camaraderie like of an entire Canadian skating team, just that, and then leaving? I mean, I can imagine that you're, you're all basically got big, massive smiles on your face and kind of, well, this is a pretty decent return that we've uh, left this. And for yourself and, and Megan and Tessa and Scott, of course, for your last Olympics, I mean, even better uh, games to kind of leave around with a couple of medals around your neck. It was so special because skating is not really a team sport. And it was so, uh, it was just so special to be able to be part of a team in that regard in Sochi and in Pyeongchang. And in Sochi, it was like the, the new event and everybody was kind of just looking at it like this extra. And I think going into Pyeongchang, we had an idea that we could win and uh, at the time, you know, Tess and Scott were training at the same gym as Megan and I, and we would see each other and we'd be like, oh, okay, like coming up with strategy and talking about it a bit more and building a team atmosphere before we even got to Pyeongchang. And I think that um, that that lifted the whole, you know, everybody that was on the team, it really, really lifted us up to have our best performances. Um, but uh, you know, aside from ending the program, one of the highlights of my life will be jumping up onto that podium and singing the national anthem with some of like my my best friends and winning that gold medal. Not necessarily we're breaking news here. I mean, it, it's kind of a big deal and there's a lot of people talking about it, but uh, the, the retirement, it's, uh, <laughs> yes, officially <laughs> over now. You, you're back. Eric Radford's back on the map and he's getting ready for Beijing. Uh, you, you want to tell us a little bit about, I guess, your decision to uh, to come out of retirement? Was it uh, the appeal of you want to go back to the Olympics because uh, you have a new partner as well now, Vanessa James? So uh, did you just sort of meet her and realize, hey, we might be able to do something interesting together? How did, how did that all happen? Um, 
it, it, all, it all kind of started just uh, for fun. Vanessa and I were doing this TV show called Battle of the Blades, where figure skaters and hockey players team up and compete against one another here in Canada. And uh, we did like a stroking pattern. This was two years ago. This was in 2019. And that was the first time we saw ourselves skate with one another. And we were like, wow, we look really, really good together. Um, and then at this past, uh, after this past, uh, in 2020, Battle of the Blades, uh, Vanessa was already in Canada, so she came to Montreal and she skated. We skated together for, I think, two two sessions. Um, but we could kind of see that there was something there, like the way that our bodies matched in our lines, and there was a very natural match there um, that usually takes years for teams to develop. And I think that was what kind of sparked the idea of, oh, like let's maybe skate together and. Um, at the beginning, I was thinking maybe it would just be for shows because Vanessa had uh, contacts for shows in Europe that Megan and I never had and we never got to do. And uh, then Vanessa came uh, back up uh, like three weeks later. And after five days of skating together, we were able to do a throw triples and a triple twist, which is normally like a triple twist took me and Megan about six months to learn. And that was when we were like, wow, I think we could be, this could be something, like this could be something special. And one of the main reasons that I really made the decision to come back was the way I feel when I skate with Vanessa. And, you know, Megan and I, our, our strength was our technical. And, you know, we achieved amazing things and we did things that no other team could and we accomplished incredible results with that side of our skating. And with Vanessa, I feel like it's, it's the, I just have like flipped the card over and now it's like the artistic side. And for me as a skater, I feel like my range has been opened and I get to express a whole lot more and in different ways and different dynamics and on different levels uh, that I just, I didn't think I would ever get the opportunity to do that. And you only live once, you know, this opportunity was, has manifested right before me without putting too much thought or energy into it. And I decided to run with it. It's, I would have to imagine that after essentially a decade of skating with one person and you're at the highest level and you've come home with all these medals, I mean, it, it, must, be, it must be kind of unusual at first just to think, to wrap your head around, okay, I'm going to actually skate with somebody else. But then, so, so was it really just the chemistry that you had with her that was sort of the deciding factor? And did you ever think you would have that chemistry with another partner again? No, like I, I really did not expect to be <laughs> trying to skate for another Olympics. Like I would have never, ever, ever imagined it. Um, but like I said, I, I feel like it's like a one in a million or like a one in a billion chance that everything fell into place the way that it needed to. And that like Vanessa and I's style and our, just our energy in general matches so well. I think it's incredibly rare and that's again part of the reason why I think that we needed to take this opportunity and you know at least give ourselves the chance to show the world what we might be able to accomplish together. You mentioned relating it to sort of a, a relationship before when you are in, in pairs. Is that an awkward phone call then when you ring up me and you're like, hey, FYI, I'm just uh, <laughs> trying for another another limit. You might you might see this on the news. Uh, kind of how does that phone call go? <laughs> it, 
it was it, it was awkward you know it's like um it's a little it's like breaking up with somebody in a way um and it's it's a strange sort of relationship because we don't we're it's not like a real relationship where we like we owe each other anything like we decided to retire um we were planning on doing shows you know with kind of as long as possible but you know in the end it's it's my life and my career and i haven't signed any sort of contract stating that this is like i'm legally bound to do this so you know and i i knew that it wasn't going to be an easy conversation that it probably wasn't going to be an easy process and but like i said i i only live once and i i'm not going to stop my life and not pursue something an incredible opportunity uh like this and, and what are the steps that you're going to go through now before you know for sure that you and vanessa have made beijing so the team is normally decided at the uh, Canadian Championships, which will be in January, just before the Olympics. So we won't know if we've made it until then. Uh, but right now, we just want to get out and compete as much as possible. We have a competition coming up in four weeks here in Montreal. It'll be our first international. Uh, then we'll do one other smaller international. Then we go on to the Grand Prix circuits. So it'll be a, kind of a competition every three or four weeks from now until uh, Beijing. And we've like we've done it before. We kind of know like you build, you compete, you see what works well, what didn't work well. You make changes, and you slowly kind of polish the program in hopes that it'll be at its peak for the Olympic Games. Eric, we've got a series of fun questions to end off the interview with in just a moment, which I'm extra excited for because. Uh, they're questions that you've already answered, which we'll explain yeah. in just a moment. Um, but <laughs> just what, one sec bef before you before you just get to the final questions. One other thing I just want to quickly. Uh, well, ask. I, I wasn't going to ask them, Colin. I was going to ask one okay. more question before go, that. Go so ahead. Go we ahead. work we'll... very well here. See, we wouldn't be good at, <laughs> at pair skating because we don't talk. Um, he'd, he'd be on his ass basically and all that kind of thing. But um, I was going to ask. You mentioned before about when you were inspired by the Olympics. Uh, music was a large part of it, and. Uh, you're doing some great work with, with music, composing music. You've had some of your pieces used for some of your teammates and everything. And I watched an interview with you where <laughs> you said that maybe it could be a goal for you to win an Academy Award for Best Original Score. And I loved your sort of quote where you said, well, you know, sounds crazy, but so does winning an Olympic medal. So why not? <laughs> so uh, after Beijing, you come home with a couple more gold, let's be honest. Um, is it then pure focus on, hey, let's go out and get that Academy Award and bugger it, let's get two, let's get three. In 10 years' time, we're going to be speaking to five-time Academy <laughs> Award winner, Eric Radford. If that ever happens and we have that interview, it'll just be such a, like a wild <laughs> ride to think back to this moment. Um, I think it's, it's really hard to know what's going to happen. I think that's what makes has made all of this process so exciting is that I, I never known what opportunity is going to come up next or come out of the blue. Um, all I know is that what I can do is kind of put my head down and work as hard in music as I did when I was in skating, because that's really what got me and gets kind of all athletes to where they are. Um, I What I am looking forward to, though, because, you know, when a, an athlete retires, it's it's a it's a huge change and a lot of athletes can go through depression and stuff like that because your identity is wrapped up in what you've been doing like every day for like your entire life up until that moment um but i feel so much better prepared this time and uh, i think i'm going to enjoy this process a whole lot more and especially enjoy my second retirement 
a whole <laughs> lot more as well. But um, I'll definitely still be composing. I'll be doing that throughout the rest of my life. But um, we'll see what happens. We'll see how the season goes. And maybe there'll be new opportunities that I don't even know about that I'll be able to, uh, you know, follow that new path. And maybe they'll be musical or maybe it'll be something else. And you did mention Battle of the Blades. I have to ask, we asked Jamie the same question when she was on. Uh, you got to tell us a little bit about Battle of the Blades. It's a great show. Anybody who's not in Canada, imagine Dancing with the Stars, but ice skating. Uh, and you you had two partners on there, and you know uh, both of which I'm, I'm very envious that you got to uh, even just meet. I mean, Amanda Kessel, not only a gold medalist, but her brother Phil, the one hockey jersey I own is Phil Kessel jersey. And then... Uh, uh, Jennifer Botterill, who uh, I didn't even realize you as well are from Winnipeg. I'm from Winnipeg. So here she's like, you know, a goddess, Jennifer Botterill. Uh, you skated with both of them. I mean, do you have great, any good experiences from Battle of the Blades? And specifically, which one between Amanda Kessel and Jennifer Botterill is the better <clears throat> partner? <laughs> You're going to make me choose. <laughs> um, they were both experiences were so different because one was pre-COVID and one was in COVID. So I'd say the first year was like a lot more fun. Um, and me and Amanda, we had a connection like this. I, I would, our choreographer, who is actually, uh, my coach now, Julie Marcotte, you know, she found it bizarre because I have never met somebody who was so alike me as Amanda. She was like <laughs> me, but in a small female body. <laughs> um, so we had so much fun and, you know, she was willing to try anything and, um, we, we had a blast, you know, and she's just like an amazing human being and the whole cast like kind of fell in love with Amanda. And Jennifer is, I think, one of the most impressive human beings. And when you use the word goddess like that is, it's so true. She is eloquent. She's beautiful. She works so hard. She was, she picked things up so quickly. Um, I was just inspired by her every day. And um, I, I, I can't choose. It's apples and oranges. <laughs> it really, really is. And I mean, Jen and I had a blast as well. And I think that we had some really beautiful moments in, in the actual competition. I think we created some really beautiful moments together. Um, it's such a, a unique and amazing experience. And, you know, what I, what I love is all the, you know, my worst enemies growing up were the hockey players, you know, <laughs> the guy hockey players. And so to kind of connect with them and like the guys who have been at the top of the NHL, it's, uh, it's, it's really nice, you know, and um, they always, all of them are like, whoa, figure skating is way harder than hockey. So that's always <laughs> like a nice little nice confidence feeling. booster to hear them say <laughs> that. Yeah. Which we, we had a couple back in the 2000s in Australia, they would do the celebrity sort of skating shows but it was obviously that the talent pool in australia with skating is a little bit different so it was more of a <laughs> let's get the the morning newsreader out there on some skates and they actually got torval and dean to come here and do one at one oh, point wow. so i think they threw a lot of money at them to come be on tv in australia but uh yeah i i know in a lot of interviews after those uh shows a, a lot of the celebrities said yeah probably the worst thing i ever did i didn't realize how hard skating was and i'm gonna <laughs> stick to reading the news <laughs> <laughs> and probably harder than composing as well I'm gonna imagine. yes <laughs> in some ways yeah <laughs> uh now ben mentioned our final set of questions now i don't know whether this will be something you remember or not but uh, we actually borrow this from the olympic dossier website uh what they did was they had all the athletes they did it for two games rio and pyeongchang fill out a questionnaire in your own handwriting and answer some you know olympic related questions and some not do you remember this at all 
Oh, I if I, I might have an idea of what you're going to ask. I, think, well, I, think we'll, <laughs> I do remember. I do remember. Yeah, well, it'll jog your memory. Uh, you're only the second athlete. I believe only the second yeah. athlete we've had on that's had their own. Yeah, because usually out. we get people. Yeah, we get people who have never filled these out before. So uh, you're going to be the second one. We get to see how many of these are repeat questions for you. So, Ben, do you want to kind of alternate okay. these back and forth? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, and I'll just say that when we gave these to to Scott, he got, I think, about 70% of them right still. So he remember, like he didn't remember doing it, but then he was like, oh, gave, giving the same answers to what he did back in Pyeongchang. So maybe uh, things there. But this one, I reckon, could have changed. Uh, the first question is your favourite Olympic moment is, and this was done be- before Pyeongchang, so maybe this could have changed uh, what you, you wrote here. Favourite Olympic moment? Well, now it's standing on top of the podium with my friends and singing the national anthem. Yeah, you had written skating a clean short program in the team event in Sochi. That's what your previous answer was. Yes, that would have been it. Yeah, very acceptable that it changes. Uh, Second question: If I could have any superpower, it would be oh, to fly. So Ah. (laughs) previously, you wanted previously you wanted molecular telekinesis. Uh, So I like flying better. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> See, but you could you could fly with molecular telekinesis, like you could still make yourself yeah, fly. Absolutely, so. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that works. I like the combinations there. Um, what is your favorite sports movie? Uh, sports movie. Um, I mean, does blood sport count? Is that a sport? I can't. Yeah. <laughs> what a movie, too. That's my kind of answer. Nice. <laughs> I mean, when I was a kid, I used to watch that movie once a week, I think. I just loved it so much. Did you ever practice the splits? I mean, I'm sure every kid who watched Blood Sport tried to do the splits at one point. I, I used to be in gymnastics and I could do the splits on two chairs. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Your previous answer, by the way, Million Dollar Baby. So, both songs. Yeah. That was a complete opposite. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I'm glad you don't answer like Blades of Glory or something like that too. Also, just now, quickly, the- Colin, before you get to the next one, I'm probably preempting you here, but the draw a picture of yourself. This is kind of uh, obviously what you're doing there, but can I just say this is maybe the best draw a picture of yourself I've Hands ever seen down. on this website. It's actually a good drawing, Eric. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember what it looks like, but... We'll it's have to good. send you the link. You 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 okay, do yeah, several several pictures in here, and it is like forget about composing and skating. I mean, you've got a career <laughs> in art now too. Is there anything you can't do, Eric? I'm getting very jealous here. <laughs> I'm terrible at golf, so right. Oh, okay. <laughs> no Paris 2024 and golf for uh, Eric Radford. <laughs> uh, this one actually will have a follow up question, uh, regardless of what you answer. But uh, your funniest childhood memory is. Funniest childhood memory. Funniest childhood memory. <sighs> I don't know. I, I mean, if by funny you mean like laughing really hard, I used to watch Mad TV as a kid and I used to <laughs> laugh so hard. Um, but off the top of my head, I, I don't have like a funny one that's popping out. Well, you you previously put watching Mad TV and laughing till you cried, so it hasn't changed. There we go. Yeah. But the the funny thing is, you started to write something else and scratch it out, so you second guessed yourself. I was going to ask though, uh, what your funniest Mad TV sketch is? Like, what was the one that you just always remember? Is that's what made you laugh hardest? It was Lord Expectations, which was like these dating videos, <laughs> and uh, Bjork. 
was on. Oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was so random and just so funny, and it still makes me laugh to this day. Yeah, love it, love it. Um, what is your favorite pump up song? So right now it's hypnotized by Purple Disco Machine, and I think back then maybe it would have been like Hapipola by Sugar Ross or something. Yes. That's the one I'm seeing here. Yeah. Nice. And which is, I mean, this is the, the beauty of your sport, though, is that obviously you are you are working to music as well, but I guess it's kind of, there's a difference with a pump-up song to going out in the ice and then skating to Adele versus, uh, mm-hmm. you know, doing something along those lines too. Uh, do the AirPods go in to pump you up just before you go on the ice? Is that something that you both do? No, because I wouldn't want to, like, disconnect myself from, from, from Megan or from Vanessa. Like, I always like to be able to, like talk to one another um a funny story about that though is if that was uh what is a song that you listen to to get ready to compete or what was your favorite song or something and it was both sides now by um joni mitchell joni mitchell like the new <laughs> version because oh, yeah. it always like this it kept me really really calm and then somewhere i read what was your pump up song but they put both sides now by joni mitchell <laughs> it's, like, it's like the slowest song ever and i was like that is they got that mixed up i don't listen that's to that around the wrong song. way that's a pump up song for the- golf like that'll work <laughs> <probably myself down>. Now, this next question, I'm going to assume has changed unless you have not watched any television in the last four years. Um, the most recent TV show I binge watched is? Um, I think it was, uh, well, right now I'm watching Veep. Ah. Oh, yeah. But I miss about I'm in the middle of that. And then I think the last complete one was Halston. Nice. On okay. Netflix. Four we years have- ago, it was House of Cards and The OA. The OA, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I've never I, watched it. I got excited. I thought that was the OC there for a moment. I got a little bit <laughs> yeah. excited going like, oh, the OC. Can we talk about the OC? It's been a while. Um, also, so the last two here, you've got your drawings. I just want to say, so you've got, if you were an animal, which would you be? You've drawn here. I would be an eagle. I love to fly and feel complete freedom. Again, amazing drawing here. <laughs> this is pretty ridiculous <laughs> and draw a picture of one of your teammates you've drawn drawn a picture of uh piper giles is it uh lovely picture oh, again yeah like I, I seriously as colin said you've got some skills here i hope when you release like your first album you got to draw the cover work here eric i think you should be doing Actually, that i'm looking at them right now i'm looking at them right now i'm like wow that's yeah <laughs> i think you need to share these on your social media be like hey look how good of a drawer i am like bugger the have olympics you ever, have you ever thought of designing logos for podcasts we could use your services <laughs> I'll give it a shot, but <laughs> <laughs> just just on that the the level of social media and that there, Eric. Um, where can people follow you, sort of in the lead up to Beijing, and also with any of your music? Can people listen to it on on Spotify, YouTube, any of those channels as well? Yeah, all my music's on like across all the streaming platforms: iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Um, you can follow me on on Instagram. I'm at Eric Radford eighty five, and Twitter, which I'm not so active on. I'm uh, at RAD85E, I think. Um, but yeah, I think in the lead up to the games, probably Instagram is the best. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're going to be watching. We're going to be very excited. We uh, 
we went into uh, we'll, we'll just state this now we went into um uh, our pyeongchang olympics with a very low success rate of people we interviewed meddling and then coming out of rio we had this big explosion of people we interviewed securing medals so we, we have big hopes for you and vanessa now <laughs> you you <laughs> We no longer have an off the podium curse. We have an off. We are going to bless you with our off the podium uh, blessings here. <laughs> so we'll be watching for you in Beijing, and uh, it'll be exciting to see. I guess it's always exciting to see you back uh, skating, especially when we thought it wouldn't happen again. But uh, it was great to have you on the show here today, and uh, feel free to come back anytime. And maybe do some commentary with us. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you again for Eric uh, being on the show today. And uh, thank you for making Ben and I feel so inadequate with your many skills. Like I am 100% positive. If Eric Radford decided tomorrow, he's going to start a podcast. It's going to be 10 times better than off the podium and get 10 times as many downloads. And, and, and clearly one of our skills is not remembering our guests on this show. Uh, apologies to Tessa Virtue. Uh, yeah, that's right. We, I was going to mention that in the intro, but yes, I do say You can't there, even remember it in you, the intro. I know. So, the, the fun little off-air story here. Uh, so, we, we do the interview and I mentioned that, you know, oh, I think the last time we had a figure skater you know, was uh, um, uh, Jamie Slay and Ben's nodding and like, yeah, that's right. And then both of us, as soon as it ended, we're like, so we both forgot that we had Tessa Virtue on after that. <laughs> so like, I said, fine, I'll, I'll mention it in the intro. And what did I forget? Yeah, this is why forget. Eric Radford should take over the show. That, that's like if all of a sudden we've got a hockey player on and we've previously interviewed Wayne Gretzky and then somebody else before <laughs> that. It's like, uh, so I think you're the last, uh, you know, hockey player we've had on since, uh, I don't know, Paul Korea. And then all of a sudden we're like, yep, yep, that's true. And all of a sudden we interviewed the great one like it's kind of what's going on so apologies to tessa there i i feel like we've offended an entire community how did we forget we had tessa virtue on the show wow he has a fan base but the next yeah. time we have a figure skater on here we will remember to say you're the first one we've had on since eric radford the yes. man of many talents <laughs> yes exactly which again I, I agree with you i think kind of eric like we'll start a podcast i'd listen to it but at the same time don't because uh we don't want to lose both our listeners, which we have today, <laughs> let's be honest. So you can apparently they're coming across now to uh, off the Eric Radford podium, uh, drawing and, yeah. and musical skills all in once. Uh, it's, it's the Swiss Army knives of podcasting. Uh, ben, I don't know exactly where our schedule's at. Do we uh, have anybody who announces the next guest? Do we have uh, a slew of people to announce? Are we not even sure where it's going to land at this point? We got so, no joke, we have so many interviews lined yeah. up. At the time of recording this, we probably have a half a dozen to do in the next few days. Oh, more. Like, that's how many we have. More. This is, so this is um, I mean, I've, I've mentioned this on a few of the, the interviews recently, is that obviously our plan was to release an interview and an episode one a week between Tokyo and Beijing. It's actually gotten to the point, which obviously people realise by listening to this, by seeing we're releasing two a week now, that we're sort of getting so many that we can start releasing two a week. So, yeah, I've sort of stopped Ford announcing guests just because as soon as I say this person's on next, I'll get three others that will happen before it. So, therefore, I've got to sort of loosely schedule them around. So, just we have a plenty lined up, plenty, plenty lined up. And uh, both winter and summer, 
and it's a lot of fun. We're loving bringing this to you. And between those, of course, too, we will uh, be bringing Jared back into the fold and kind of talking about some other things as well. So very busy here and off the podium at the moment as well. And, uh, yeah, we're very excited to, to bring these to you because there's some great chats, learning a lot, a lot about different sports and not just Australians and Canadians. We're obviously getting plenty of other uh, athletes from other countries mm-hmm. too. So um, that was always a goal of ours, Colin, was like, yeah, okay, we're, we're a Canadian-Australian podcast. We're going to focus on on countries, those countries, athletes from those countries. But why not uh, spread it out there a little bit? So, uh yeah, plenty, plenty to come. We're busy in the off-the-podium offices. We just need to learn how to communicate a little bit better, as you've heard <laughs> in that interview. So, yeah. And, and I just want to say this for all the listeners at home who listen through our Tokyo coverage. Uh, this is not a joke. This is 100% real. Today, this very day, uh, you've got to gloat about of, this. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not even going to mention that. I'll mention it oh, now. Right, okay. I, I thought somebody, you were gloating about somebody, a story you were telling. Again, we don't talk. I had, <laughs> I had somebody say to me today, they were 100% in agreement with me on the Penny Alexiak uh, athlete of the day rant tantrum. that I had, where tantrum, tantrum where I had to fight yep. for it. They were 100% in agreement in it and had some choice words to say about Ben and the message as well. But uh, wow. it, along with that, um, just to prove I'm a man of my word, this very day, Jared's box of multi-grain Penny Alexiak Cheerios is in the mail and on its way to Emu Plains. Wow. I'm just hoping my package got sent at the same time. or you Well, know, we'll uh, have to talk off air because you're paying <laughs> shipping on yours. Wow. Glad to see who's the favourites on this show. Yo, Jared's package is in the mail. Ben, yo, we have to talk. Uh, so I see how it is. But, there have uh, been a complication. Wow. I look forward to Jared's photo with him in Penny Alexiak uh, breakfast. <laughs> cereal so um yeah again good to see good to see who has the teacher's pet on this show so yeah and we look forward to beijing which is uh creeping up a lot quicker than i thought it would uh and maybe we'll have a nice box of apple cinnamon eric radford's uh that we can give away on the show as well he, he, he would probably make the them himself like with the skills he's got like exactly he did, the skills of making breakfast cereal i'm sure he'll make growing his own the oats yeah <laughs> processing them he'd build the factory he'd um <laughs> the cardboard box factory the distribution the center itself. wow I Jeez. have seriously never been so jealous of a human being who's been on this show. <laughs> and that includes Jared. <laughs> yes. Well, clearly. Um, wow. All right. So lots of fun stuff to come. As Ben said, episodes with all of us uh, back to just talk Olympic stuff. Lots of interviews to come and Beijing coming very quickly. Make sure to uh, subscribe to us wherever you can find us, whether it be uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, wherever, uh, as well. Uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Ben does a really good job with our Instagram. He's got some fun stuff on there. And uh, I'm sure he's earning his wage well. <laughs> oh, I'm worth every cent we make in. off it. That's my dollar value in life. Everything on that, on that service. And uh, as always, thank you, Ben, for joining me for this interview. Thank you, Colin, for joining me for this interview. It's nice to, uh, to have some help on one of these for once. So good job. Well done. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll be back in a couple days for another one.